0: Storehouse Dallas. So we're continuing today our two-part series on the King of the Jews. Um, Both this past triumphal entry into Jerusalem that Jesus did at his first coming and his future triumphal entry into Jerusalem as King of the Jews will be our subject matter for today. On the day Jesus was crucified, Pontius Pilate hung a sign over his head that said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. He wrote it in three languages, and there were people from all across um, the region of Israel in town for the celebration of the Passover that weekend, and he wanted to make sure that every single person, Jew and Gentile, could read it. King of the Jews. And last week, we discussed a very important prophecy, um, a few actually, but one main one from the Old Testament about this king of the Jews. Does anyone remember what that scripture verse was? (laughs) Oh man, we got to do some review today. 2 Samuel 7. Let's say that together. 2 Samuel 7. One more time. 2 Samuel 7. Very good. When I was in seminary, my Old Testament professor greatly emphasized 2 Samuel 7, 2 Samuel 7, 2 Samuel 7, 2 Samuel 7. 7. We were tested on it. We had to be able to talk about it. We had to be able to say why it was important. Why? Why did he do that? Why is 2 Samuel 7 so significant? Because this prophecy would be on the hearts and on the lips of the Jewish people for generations and generations, even up until the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. This promise, recorded in Second Samuel 7, was that a son of David, a descendant, an heir, would sit on his throne and rule Israel and the nations forever. So what did God promise exactly in 2 Samuel 7? Well, a few things that we talked about last week. David, one of your descendants will sit on the throne in Israel. He will build the temple of the Lord and he will rule for all time. That's 2 Samuel 7. The son of David on the throne of David building the temple of the Lord ruling for all time. And then we talked about Isaiah 9 and 11 that said that this son of David is also going to regather the people of Israel from all across the earth. He will regather them in the land of Israel and that he would rally all of the nations to himself and be a banner of victory over them. And the increase of his government and its peace would know no end. In other words, this son of David... This king of the Jews would rule the nations forever. Amen. So Jesus, we said, is this promised Messiah. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the king of the Jews, which means that Jesus fulfills all these prophecies, that he's the one that's going to sit on the throne of David. He's the one that will rule the nations from Israel, from his throne in Jerusalem for all time. And he will gather the Israelites all across the nations, and he will rally the Gentiles to himself. So we said last week that Jesus fulfilled these promises in two ways. First of all, in a heavenly spiritual way that began and continues at his first coming. Secondly, he fulfills them in an earthly physical way that has begun in our own day. Like since you and I in this room have been born, we've begun to see the fulfillment of these in an earthly way that will culminate and, and, and reach their fullness at his second coming. And that is the subject matter for today. Last week was the heavenly spiritual way, this week the earthly physical way. So let's begin. We're going to start from a passage uh, from Luke 19. So you can go ahead and turn there. Luke 19, Jesus' famous entry into Jerusalem where he was quickly received as the king of the Jews and then shortly after quickly rejected as the king of the Jews. Just for a little context here, um, six days before that Passover where Jesus was crucified, Jesus and his disciples, he entered into um, two towns around the Mount of Olives Mount of Olives, which is just east of Jerusalem. It overlooks it. You stand on that mountain. You can look and you can see the wall to Jerusalem. You can see the entire city from that mountain. Um, So Jesus was hanging out there visiting Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, whom he had just raised from the dead a little while before. So, I mean, all of this attention is centered around Jesus. He's been healing the sick, casting out demons, opening blind eyes, raised a man that was dead for four days, and now he is secretly entering in and planning a victorious entry into Jerusalem. And so he tells his disciples, go ahead of me and find a donkey. And we'll talk about why that's important shortly. So let's read Luke 19, verse 36 to 45. Luke 19, 36. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible. As he was going, as Jesus was going on the donkey, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice. A loud voice. God likes his people to have a loud voice when they praise him. Amen. For all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is he, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Verse 41, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known this day, even you the things which make for your peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave you, in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. So, three important things I want to highlight from this passage. Um, number one, Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey. Number two, they greet him with uh, palm branches and shouts of "Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord." Um, other uh, the gospel, uh, other gospels, they'll say, uh, uh, "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." Hosanna to the Son of David. And number three, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem and prophesies its destruction because they did not recognize the time of their visitation. Okay. So, he comes into Jerusalem, this victorious entry, this triumphal entry, on a donkey. And so, we read this story, and we may be like, what's the deal with a donkey? Why a donkey? Why not an elephant? (laughs) (laughs) Prince Ali, mighty as he, Ali Ababa. (laughs) Coming in on that great elephant, big shouts and horns and dancers, all this going on. Exactly. Thank you. I mean, you know, you just think about it, and you're like, man, I'd, I'd much rather come in on an elephant than a donkey. But um, but he came in on a donkey. Why, why not? A, why not a great white horse? You know, Revelation 19. He's coming on that white horse. His eyes are a flame of fire. His hair is white as wool. He's got a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth with which he will strike the nations and on his side is written king of kings and lord of lords and he comes with all the armies of heaven clothed in white marching in victoriously on this white horse but here donkey why a donkey well if we look at Zechariah 9 Um, It tells us why. And actually, the gospel of Matthew, um, which we read from Luke, Matthew will point out. He'll he'll say, hey, here's Zechariah 9. Here's why the donkey is important. So if you'll turn with me to Zechariah 9, verse 9. This is, again, a prophecy, another prophecy about the Messiah, about the son of David. And it says this, Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of an donkey. So, by riding on this donkey, Jesus was saying two things. He was going back to this prophecy in Zechariah 9, and he was coming and saying, I am the Messiah, I am the son of David. I am here, I am the king of the Jews, and I am coming into my city. But he also said something else. He said, first, I'm going to come in through humility. Represented by the donkey. And his first coming would be a death on a cross and defeating the powers of hell second thing about this passage we read in Luke that the people at first they received him with these with shouts of joy they took palm branches and started spreading out in front of them. And what's crazy, like you read the different accounts of the gospel about what happened here. I mean, they didn't just like have broken palm branches just hanging out in their house, like ready for this. It was like Jesus was coming and his disciples are saying, he's coming. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were like running all around, like get some palm branches. So they're like sawing these tree branches off of the tree as Jesus is coming into town from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. And they they're like, okay, let's form a procession here. It's the king is coming. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. So, but 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 so why palm branches and why this song? Blessed is He. Psalm one eighteen, verse twenty six to twenty seven. You can turn there if you want. Another messianic passage. Another prophecy about the Son of David. It says, verse twenty six of Psalm one eighteen. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cord to the horns of the altar. Now, again, this is New American Standard. Other translations, looking at the, the Hebrew old, uh, translation of the Old Testament, then, then the Greek. That's um, we, we, why we have a couple of different translations here, because we're basing it on these uh, Hebrew and Greek terms. Um, they say, um, um, bind it with, with palm branches, like spread out the palm branches. Um, New Revised Standard, uh, we'll, we'll use that terminology. So we see the palms, and we see the song. Blessed is he. So they were proclaiming Jesus is this king of the Jews that is prophesied in Psalm 118. And they were receiving him as king of the Jews. And these palms, these were a sign of peace. These were a sign of we're receiving you, Jesus. These were a sign of the king is victorious and he's coming in to take his seat on his throne. So he's fulfilling this psalm. And you know, we see this, almost this exact same thing happen again forward in the book of Revelation. Chapter 7, John is taken up into heaven and he sees people from every tribe and nation and tongue gathered around the throne of God, the Lamb of God, in heaven with palm branches. Shouting, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Beloved, he is coming again and he will be received with this same song, and he will set up his kingdom of heaven on earth forever. However, at his first coming, the majority of religious leaders of Jerusalem rejected Jesus as the king of the Jews. And when he didn't march into Jerusalem, challenge Herod, the Roman governor of Judah, and overthrow the Roman Empire, a lot of the people rejected him as well. The majority of the people, including most of Jesus' disciples, missed him. They missed him. They did not recognize the time of their visitation. And so Jesus wept over Jerusalem, groaned and sobbed over the very people that he came to save, rejecting him as Messiah and King. He weeps, he prophesies the destruction of Jerusalem, and he rebukes them. He rebukes them for not recognizing that he was there. And what's particularly significant about this for our message today is we see in Matthew 23, the same thing happening. Jesus comes in, he weeps over Jerusalem and he says, I've longed to gather you as a mother hen, her chicks, but you were unwilling You were unwilling, and he declared this phrase in Matthew 23, verse 37. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets, who stones those who are sent to her. How often I've wanted to gather your children like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate for I say to you from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus looked at them and he prophesied a destruction that would come Approximately 40 years later, where the Romans would come, they would burn down the Jewish temple. They would slaughter Jewish people all throughout the town, and they would scatter the Israelites across the nations once again because they did not recognize their king. But Jesus, he did something significant right here in Matthew 23. He bound himself not to return to the earth until Jerusalem called him home. He said, when Israel calls me, then I will come into my glorious city and I will take my seat on my throne in Jerusalem. But Israel has to call me. And so God is birthing a cry in the Jewish people today. He is birthing a groan in them that cries out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I tell you, it is sweeping across the Jews all across the nations in our day. And we are seeing this veil being lifted. We are seeing more and more Jews come to faith in Jesus Christ. and We are seeing them recognize this man is the son of David this man is the king of the Jews and that cry will will bring our king home (sighs) and to this subject we now turn heaven is coming to earth the kingdom of heaven is coming to earth amen It is here, but it's like it's coming here in a pretty intense way forever. (laughs) And so we say, your kingdom is here. We bless you, but your kingdom is coming. Come, Lord Jesus. Last week, we talked about how Jesus, the Messiah of 2 Samuel 7, Isaiah 9 and 11, um, how how, how he fulfilled these things in a heavenly way. Um, He didn't come to free the Jews from the prince of the earthly realm, Caesar, he came to free them from the the prince of of the heavenly realm, the god of this age, Satan himself. He came to set them free from slavery to the kingdom of darkness by his death and resurrection. And we talked about this last week. He overthrew Satan the prince of the heavenly world. How else did he fulfill these prophecies in a heavenly way? He, 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 many Jews believed in Jesus. The gospel spread to the Gentiles. He rallied the nations to himself, and he built a heavenly spiritual temple made of human flesh, you and me. And he ascended and took his seat on his heavenly throne, where he remains until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. And the kingdom of righteousness and peace continues to increase as we go. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything he commanded. So that's how he fulfilled it in a heavenly way. And, and you know, I, um, I've seen many Christians um, across all denominations, and I, and I do mean this as a critique, but I mean this as a plea as well with all of us. Um, a lot of us stop here. We stop with this heavenly fulfillment of these prophecies, and we neglect the reality of this coming earthly fulfillment. Um, we say um, that, that Jesus didn't come to overthrow the Romans and the kingdom of the Roman Empire. He came to overthrow Satan and bring the kingdom of heaven. And that's true. That's true. But that's not where it stops. If we stop there, we've missed the fullness of all these prophecies. If we stop there, we've aborted the mission of Jesus Christ. I believe our tendency to stop there is the reason why the church for centuries, even up until this past century, has failed, number one, to win the Jewish people to Christ— Because I tell you, they are waiting for a Messiah in the flesh to come and sit on the throne of earthly Jerusalem and rule the nations from there forever, and rightly so. And two, we fail to understand God's heart and plan for Israel both today and in the days approaching the Lord's return. And if we miss this, I believe that we will miss God's heart for Israel and the nations, and his plan, his end time plan there, and that we will be seriously unprepared for the big trouble that's coming right before his return. So Jesus came to fulfill these prophecies in a heavenly way and he's coming again to fulfill them in an earthly, physical way. And he will enter in Jerusalem and the Jews will cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, amen. So, he's going to fulfill them in an earthly, physical way. How is he going to do that? Glad you asked. So, if you remember from 2 Samuel 7, it said that one of David's sons is going to sit on David's throne and rule forever. Jesus, in a heavenly way, after he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He took a seat on his heavenly throne and all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. But in an earthly way, he's bringing that heavenly throne to the earth, the physical earth that we're standing on right now. That throne in heaven is coming down to earth. Matthew 5, 35, Jesus tells the people, do not swear by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Earthly Jerusalem. The one that's there today. The one that's in the headlines today. That is the city of the king of the Jews. In Matthew 25, he's talking about his return. He prophesies the destruction of the temple. And he says that the, the, the Jerusalem's not going to see me until they cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So he's saying, I'm returning to Jerusalem. It's going to get really bad. Um, at this in, 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 a, in a few decades because the Romans are going to come and knock everything out, but I'm going to come back and they're going to receive me. And, and they're saying, when's this going to happen? When are you coming back to Jerusalem? And he said in Matthew 25, he will sit on his throne of glory and judge the nations. He will divide the sheep and the goats on the day of judgment. And those on his right The sheep, he will say, enter into joy. Those on his left will say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He will judge the nations from Jerusalem. Isaiah 2 says that all the nations would stream to Jerusalem, the city of the great king, earthly Jerusalem. They will pour into that city from all across the world, and they will be taught by the Lord. They will be taught by Jesus. He will come in physical, earthly Jerusalem, and he will teach the nations his way. Out of Zion, the Torah will go forth. The word of the Lord will come from Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 2, Jesus is returning to his city, the city of the great king, and he will judge the nations and rule from this earthly throne in Jerusalem. Isaiah 11 said that the son of David, the king of Jews, would regather the people of Israel. In a heavenly way, he in a spiritual way, he gathered all of the Jews um, from across the nations on the day of Pentecost. Right after he ascended into heaven, and, G- and Peter preaches the gospel. They're cut to the heart. They're baptized, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And three thousand in one day come and believe in Jesus Christ as the King of the Jews. Multitudes of Jews are getting saved. Even leading priests and rabbis. The Book of Acts tells us. So this is this is a significant movement of Jews that believe in Jesus happening. In the first century, it's incredible. Um, And even today, we're seeing a drastic increase. But in an earthly way, in our own generation, even before our very eyes, God has begun to physically regather his people into geographic Israel. Today, in this last century, this is incredible. For almost 19 centuries, the Jewish people have not been in their land. Maybe a few pockets here and there. But as far as Jewish people governing the land of Israel, having borders, we have not seen that until this past century. This is absolutely incredible, people. You know, Ezekiel and Isaiah, they prophesy that God's going to do a physical regathering of the Jews across the nations. That they will pour in, they will stream into Israel, they will live there. And that then there would be an outpouring of his Holy Spirit on them. And they will look on the one that they have pierced. And they will mourn. They will say, this is the king of the Jews. We've seen this in our day. In this very day, there are Jews from Russia, Ukraine, India, Ethiopia, all making aliyah all ascending to the hill of the Lord to say, Jerusalem is our home. This is the land where God has given us, and this is where our king will return. 1948, I mentioned already, Jews are back in the land. Shortly after, all the the nations surrounding Israel, which which, by the way, are all Islamic nations, uh, um, that that hated this, and and many of them today, most of them today, still hate this. In 1967, all of the surrounding nations come up against Israel with one plan. Drive Israel into the sea. But God miraculously intervened. I mean, everything was against Israel in 1967. But God showed up, and Israel not only won that war, but they expanded their territory drastically. And they took back Jerusalem, the city of the great king, as the capital of Israel in 1967. Our president, Donald Trump, he is the first U.S. president... To not only verbally recognize that Jerusalem is Israel's legitimate capital, but he has begun to move the U.S. Embassy into Jerusalem. This is, this is such a massive thing, my friends. I believe this is the most clear timing indicator that we are approaching the Lord's return. This is the season. Jesus says, look at the fig tree. When you see the fig tree ripen, you know that you are in the season of the Lord's return. This fig tree Israel is beginning to ripen. The people are back in the land. Jerusalem is its capital and, and the nations are beginning to recognize it. And friends, I don't know what you feel about Donald Trump, but I tell you, he is an instrument in the hand of God. He is a Cyrus that is God is using to establish his people back in that land before he returns. All Israel will be saved. Romans 11, verse 25 to 29. I wanna spend a a few more moments here because this significance of Israel, we've gotta get this. Any eschatology, any study of the end times that undermines, ignores, or neglects the significance of God's heart and plan of Israel is flawed at its very foundation. We've got to get this. This is the key to understanding the end times. The Lord's return. Romans 11, verse 25 to 29, uh, Paul's talking about this whole mystery of Jews and Gentiles. And what do we do with all the fact that a lot of the Jews have rejected Jesus as Messiah? What, what sense do we make of this? Now, these Gentiles have begun to fill the church, and it's getting predominantly Gentile. And, and how, do we, how do we deal with this here? You know what, what do, How do we view and see the Jewish people in God's heart? What is God's heart for them? What's God's end-time plan for Israel? Paul addresses it here in Romans 11, 25. He says this, I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. This is really key. We've got to get this or we're going to subject ourselves to pride. God give us revelation. That a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so, verse 26, all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, Jerusalem. When I and I will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they unbelieving Jews, Jews that have rejected Jesus as Messiah, they're enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So what is this passage telling us? A partial hardening has come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That there has been a a hardening over their hearts and a blind veil put over their eyes to not be able to see Jesus as the Messiah because they rejected him. That was a judgment on them. He came in, they missed the time of their visitation, and God said there's hardening and there's blindness coming. But it's being removed. What is this fullness of the Gentiles? There's some debate about what this exactly means, but I believe it refers um, to this, this, uh, um, all the, uh, the gospel going to all the nations. That it's progressive. That as the gospel spreads across the nations and the Gentiles are coming into salvation, into the kingdom of God, that it's causing a softening of hearts of the Jewish people. So the more we engage in the Great Commission, making disciples of all nations, the softer Israel's heart is becoming. Why is that? Well, because when we get a revelation of Jesus, the king of the Jews is our king. We Gentiles, but our our king is a Jew. We're starting to get his heart and his plan for Israel. And we're seeing that God came to seek and save the lost sheep of Israel. We start getting his heart and we're teaching on here's why Israel is important. And it, it starts to soften us towards Israel. And, and Israel looks at us and they see, hey, that, you know, that Mexican guy, I'm half Mexican, that, that half Mexican, Irish, American, you know, whatever he is, is, um, is uh, <laughs> he's enjoying the promises that were to my people, <laughs> He's enjoying the covenant blessings that were made to my forefathers, and it makes them jealous. And they want to say, oh, what's going on here? Tell me about what's happening. And we say, let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> and so our, our, they're, they're stirred to jealousy. Our hearts are softened, and we start crying out, God, remember your promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lord, have mercy on your people, Israel. Soften their hearts, God, in the name of Jesus. Open their eyes to see Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David, the King of the Jews. In Jesus' name, amen. And as that incense comes up from all the believers across the nations, Israel's heart is getting softer and softer and softer, and the veil is getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And they will begin to see, and they have begun to see that this man is the King of the Jews. If we fail to recognize this mystery, we are prone to fall into two serious errors in our theology in our understanding of the heart of God. Um, We tend to fall into this idea that the Gentile church, or that the church itself, which is predominantly Gentile, um, has replaced Israel as God's people. That God has cast unsaved Israel off forever. This is called replacement theology. That the church has replaced Israel, and all of the covenant promises in the Old Testament apply only to the church, and that the natural descendants of Abraham have no part in this promise whatsoever anymore. That the promises are fulfilled to the church in a heavenly spiritual way, but these physical earthly promises of Israel being in the land under a Jewish king and governing the nations with him, that it, that it has no significance. Um, and, but, but, and that's wrong. The truth is that we as Gentiles who put faith in Jesus, we've been grafted into Israel. We haven't replaced Israel, but we've been included in Israel. And we are fully, 100% co-heirs with Christ. All of the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we can share from the vine as a branch, a wild olive branch grafted into the olive tree of Israel, soaking in the life and the power of the promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jews that don't believe in Jesus have been cut off. But they have not been cast off forever. God in his patience is softening their hearts so that they would repent. And that they would enjoy all the spiritual and physical earthly promises in the Old Testament. the second error we fall into if we do not understand this mystery of Romans 11 which i think is horribly worse than this first one is that we tend to start believing that jews don't need jesus to be saved you know in our reaction to the holocaust we've the church has seriously revisited its theology about israel which i think is extremely important cuz To the great shame of, of the church in that generation, most of the church was absolutely silent when six million Jews were being killed in death camps. And there's been repentance. There's been healing rec- reconciliation, um, and I, I pray for more and more of that. But beloved, we still there's still a lot of misunderstanding about Israel, and there's still a lot of anti-Semitism in the world. Um, but the, the negative extreme reaction to that is to say, well, God loves the Jewish people, and a lot in the church have, have begun to say this more and more. God has a plan for Israel and that he's not done with the people, the natural descendants of Abraham, but they've also made the claim to say the Jews can be saved through the Old Covenant, through Moses. They don't need Jesus in the New Covenant at all in order to inherit salvation. That is a heresy that will result in many, many, many going into the lake of fire. Those that reject Jesus as King and Messiah, Jew or Gentile, will be bound up and cast into the lake of fire forever. And we have compromised on this. But it's changing. So, both of these errors, they miss God's heart, they destroy our witness to the Jews, and they leave us unprepared for the coming tribulation. And we'll say more on this in a few moments. So, Isaiah also prophesied that the son of David, the king of the Jews, that he would rally the Gentiles and be a banner of victory over them. He's done this in a heavenly way as the gospel is spread to all the nations. That to this day, from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, the name of Jesus is made great across the nations. America calls on the name of Jesus. England calls on the name of Jesus. Brazil calls on the name of Jesus. Lebanon calls on the name of Jesus. All of Africa and Asia, people are beginning to call on the name of Jesus like never before. Even where there's persecution, even where there is is imprisonment for the gospel, this gospel is going to all the nations in our day. And it will culminate at the Lord's return. And those that have not heard, there are missions organizations right now. We are plan- They are planning Bible translations. They are actively planning missions initiatives to take this gospel to the nations. But in an earthly way, the king of the Jews will rally the Gentiles himself physically into earthly Jerusalem. The Jerusalem that's in the headlines today. A great tribulation is going to come to the earth. A man called the Antichrist is going to be in power for three and a half years where he will persecute the church, the saints. He will persecute Israel. He will spread his demonic empire across all the nations and they will gather against Jerusalem, Satan, the Antichrist. They are gathering a demonic army from across the nations and he is rallying an army of Gentiles to come against Jerusalem in the last days. In Matthew 24, Jesus says this. He says, after the tribulation of those days. Not before. That Jesus would split the sky. A trumpet will sound. The voice of an archangel will shout. And Jesus will come and gather, rally his army from the nations. <laughs> and we will march with him into physical, earthly Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And he will make a royal procession. He will make a procession across the sky where he will gather the saints. The dead in Christ will rise. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up and meet the Lord together with him. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We will meet the Lord in the air. We will be raptured. He will rapture us from the four corners of the earth. But hear my heart here. Hear hear what the word of the Lord is saying in his scriptures. This rapture is not to cause us to escape the coming trouble. It's not pulling us out of the tribulation. It's coming after it, friends. It's right there in Matthew 24, 29. After the tribulation of those days. He is going to gather the saints not to pull us out of the trouble, but to clothe us with power Resurrected immortal bodies cannot die and equip us as the army of the Lord with all of the angels to enter into Jerusalem and drive Satan, drive the Antichrist and his demonic army off of the planet forever. This is an all-out war that heaven is declaring on the kingdom of darkness. Jerusalem and a multitude of unsaved Jews will be surrounded by the Antichrist and his demonic army. You can read about this in Zechariah 14. Jesus will come with his heavenly army with all the saints with him. He will stand on the Mount of Olives. So Jesus isn't just coming across the sky. His feet are going to touch the earth. I was in Israel in 2015 and we went to the Mount of Olives and you stand on that mountain, you're elevated. You can see the entire city of Jerusalem. And I just stood there and I was like, Jesus, your feet are going to stand on this physical mountain that I'm on right now. And you're going to make another royal procession in Jerusalem. And his feet touching earth will cause that mountain to shake and split in two. And the Jews that are surrounded on every side by all the nations, they will come through that valley that's created through this giant earthquake. He will save his people, Israel, and they will cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and he will save his people, Israel, and he will gather them again to himself and they will call on him as Lord for all of eternity. Oh, The Messiah, the King of the Jews is coming and all Israel will be saved in that day. Isaiah prophesied the government, the increase of his government and a peace will know no end that he's coming, not only on earth, but in heaven, in a heavenly way, but in a physical earthly way to bring that kingdom of heaven into Jerusalem, into the physical city of Jerusalem where he will sit on his throne, judge the nations and rule and reign forever. He will even build the temple of the Lord. As it said in 2 Samuel 7. Your son, David, will build my temple. So he did it in a heavenly way by making you and I a dwelling place of God in the Spirit, living stones. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of you and I. Temples made of human hearts and human flesh. But He will build a physical, earthly temple. Ezekiel 40 to 48, if you've ever read it, it's pretty detailed. Very detailed nine chapters of exactly what this temple will look like. And we've never seen this. We've never, the dimensions are there. You can read in your Bibles all the footnotes and everything. No one has ever seen a temple that massive. I mean, it's huge, and it's on the earth. That it's going to be surrounded by trees that produce fruit. It's going to, a river is going to pour out of that physical temple. And it's going to flood into the Mediterranean Sea. It's going to flood into the Dead Sea. And it's going to have streams of life. And it will bring life wherever that river flows. It will come out of the temple. And the son of David will have a special entry point into that temple that Ezekiel prophesies. And the nations will stream to it and worship the king of the Jews for all of eternity. His house will be a house of prayer for all nations. So a physical earthly temple is coming. But an even greater temple than Ezekiel's temple is coming. Ezekiel's temple will be in operation for a thousand year period known as the millennium. You can read about it in Revelation 20. We don't have time to go into details today. But Jesus is setting up a physical government on the earth that will, over a thousand-year period, begin to release life and blessing over the earth that prepares it for the ultimate arrival of heaven on earth. Revelation 21, verse 1 to 3, and then 10 through 11. It says, then, John says, He's seen all these crazy visions in in Revelation. In chapter 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God, the temple of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. They shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Verse 10 and 11. And the angel carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, a physical mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. This new Jerusalem that John sees, it's going to be a glorious tabernacle that comes down out of heaven and rests on the physical earth. It's going to stretch, the book of Revelation tells us, nearly 1,500 miles wide. Long and high. This is in the Bible. John saw this with his eyes. A physical, earthly temple and a city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Be adored with gemstones of all kinds. A river will flow out of it, the tree of life. And its leaves will be for the healing of the nations. All of the nations will stream to this city. And it will rest on the earth. And they will worship God the Father and his Son in this glorious city forever. But there is still a greater temple than this coming down to the earth. Revelation 21, 22. John's looking at the city, which he describes as a tabernacle earlier. But here in verse 22, he says this, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, this King of the Jews, is the temple in which the saints will worship. I am the temple, Jesus says. In all of our worship, will be in him, through him, and to him. This man, this King of the Jews, for all time, forever. And we will see his face, and his name will be on our foreheads.